Welcome to Offbeat Columbus. I'm your host, Matt Ward. I am a father, husband, cynical realtor, demotivational speaker, moderately capable guitarist, formerly traveled comedian, and completely unqualified spiritual guide. Each week we will bring you the weird from around Columbus, Ohio, and beyond. Thanks for joining me. This week we have some news to read that I want to pontificate upon. I wanted to start out this week by reading an article that I found troubling. This is from the Columbus Division of Police. This was April 11th at 11.30 p.m. Last night, April 11th, 2020, at 11.30 p.m., officers were called to 1255 Oakwood Avenue on loud music at an Airbnb. Officers informed the renters of the stay-at-home order, to which they informed officers it was only a couple of people coming over. At 12.01 a.m., officers were called back out at 1255 Oakwood Avenue on a large fight. Apparently, it was more than a couple people. Officers arrived and observed more than 30 people inside and out. Officers did a great job of dispersing the partygoers and gaining order. As officers were clearing 1255 Oakwood Avenue at 12.19 a.m., they were called to 510 Jackson Street on another large party at another Airbnb. Officers arrived and came into contact with a male outside who stated there were around 60 people inside. Dude was just like, yeah, man, there's 60 people inside. So what are you going to do? Officers knocked to speak with the occupants inside, but as soon as one person looked out the door, all the lights shut off and the blinds were shut. What are they, 14 years old? Like you close your eyes and you become invisible? Like what's going on, guys? While officers were announcing through the door, they noticed an upstairs window open and an object fly out into the yard next door. Officers checked the yard and found a loaded gun. Officers could observe through a small window on the front door several people with rifles and handguns inside running out the back door. As officers were going around the back, a neighbor stated someone loaded a white SUV with several rifles. What kind of party is this where they need rifles? Officers detained several individuals fleeing from the home. One male was charged with CCW and three guns were recovered, two of which were reported stolen. Officers did a great job of handling all three of these fast-evolving incidents. Each incident had a potential to turn deadly were it not for the decisions of all involved. From Sergeant Timothy Davis from the Columbus Division of Police. So, at what point does anyone think a party is a good idea? And what's the, what are the guns for? What kind of party is this? I think we clearly know this is not good news one way or the other. And these people do not give a shit about our current stay-in-place order or COVID-19. They've got rifles. What, what, who, who's having a rifle party in the middle of the city? Now, the, the best part to me is the second one of these incidents occurred in German Village. So there was a rifle party in German Village, guys during a uh, stay-in-place order. So, in case you thought that the city of Columbus was boring, that is not, in fact, the case. I mean, we're all of our lives right now are kind of turned upside down to a certain extent. We've all got cabin fever. It's getting ridiculous. Like, we want to reach out to other people and be around other people, but it's simply just not a good idea to do so, or not even possible to do so. People have lost their jobs. People have varying degrees of insanity setting in. I have more and more friends that believe it's a gigantic conspiracy theory to the point where I'm not even sure if our friendship 
is truly valid or if perhaps they've gone so far off the deep end that I might not want my son to be around them at some point. And I'm talking about people that I've been very close with and and trust and think are good people, but that fully believe things like 5G towers are affecting people's vulnerability to COVID-19 and that it, that people like Dr. Acton should be removed from her position because of what's happening with the stay in place order and what jobs were deemed essential and what jobs were not deemed essential. Look, I'm in real estate. I don't feel my job is entirely essential other than money, because if the economy did not have real estate transactions happening, it's a major influencer on the stability of the entire economy. State of Pennsylvania currently does not have real estate as an essential profession or an essential business. So real estate's kind of been shut down completely in the state of Pennsylvania. Does that mean in Ohio they're doing it right and in Pennsylvania they're doing it wrong? Who knows? I mean, we can only see at the end of this what the results are for the state of Ohio and what they've chosen to shut down and what they've chosen to keep going, whether it was done correctly. We can't really estimate now what the outcome of all of this is going to be. But in the end, when all the dust is settled and we look back, I think that people are going to feel that uh, Governor DeWine and Amy Acton have been looking out for our best interest and are really concerned about making sure that as many lives are preserved as possible, regardless of the economic scarring that may take place. It's one thing to disrupt someone's economy, but it's another thing to uh, risk someone's life by not putting some type of policy in place, in my opinion. And it, now, it does get a little over the top sometimes. Now, I, I like when uh, I'm out and about, which I try not to be on a regular basis, but when I am, I've got, when I go uh, into public and I go into a store, or I go into pick up food at a restaurant, I have the mask on. I, I wear gloves. Uh, when I'm doing my job, I do the same thing. Some people are over the top, though. I'm, I'm driving around and I see people with like a face mask on while they're driving. What are you doing? Like you're alone in your car. It's your filth all around you. If if you've got it, you've got it. Like, and some I've heard. Well, maybe you know you just you don't want to touch the mask. Like, how did you get the mask on in the first place? Like you touched it at some point. Did you, you could just sanitize your hands, then put the mask on after you get out of your car. That way you're not touching your door and then putting your mask on, sanitize your hands in between. I don't know. It's just people have kind of lost their collective minds and it's, it's allowed for amazing distractions that are happening right now. And one of those amazing distractions just happens to be the Tiger King, which if this name had been mentioned like 15, 10, 15 years ago, I would have thought it was about like the rise and fall of Tiger Woods. But apparently we are just once again back in love with redneck mystique, with somebody that's an outlaw, but it's at the same time is so drowned in his own uh, megalomania that he is endearing. And I think that's exactly what Joe Exotic has become for people. He's the savior at the time when we're just going crazy and we're like, man, our lives are fucked up. But look, this guy and his whole story is way more fucked up. I can't dig it, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> this Joe Exotic thing is, it's not my thing. It's, it's, it's weird. I have this feeling that I'm just watching exploitation TV. Like, 
what is going on with this show. People love the fact that it's like a, a mess that you can't look away from. But if you lived in small town America and were friends with the people that were on a lot of drugs, this is probably not that crazy of a story to you. Uh, if you come from Lancaster, Ohio or Marion, Ohio or Portsmouth, and you just happen to know somebody that uh, does a regular amount of crystal meth, you're going to find out that their sexuality is equally fluid. Uh, they just don't necessarily own any tigers yet. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, my brain just every time I get out and I get to go in public, it feels good to just breathe air. And it's like being isolated or even being shut in and not traveling as much or getting out as much with a family is almost like doing some type of psychedelic drug. It's you are so like emotionally all over the place from like happy to sad to depressed to excited to laughing all in a very short period of time throughout the day. And it's exhausting. By the time we're done with the day, it's just there's no energy left. It's it's completely draining. But I think at the end of this, the light at the end of the tunnel is when we do finally get the ability to travel and we finally are able to to get on planes and i mean we can still get on planes and go some places but when we're freely allowed and all the stay in place orders have dropped and people can go back to work i think it's going to be like this this wave of interest in all the things that we've taken for granted for so long like traveling and and being able to like shake someone's hand and be able to hug people you haven't seen in a really time there's going to be some really long hugs at the end of this i feel um but that's okay i mean we probably need to get back to connecting right now i think you should be calling people on the telephone instead of just texting them texting them's good but what about a phone call talk to that person you haven't talked to in forever the person that you're surprised that you actually have their phone number programmed on your phone because it's been so long since you talked to them i mean parents they're begging for a phone call. Call them daily if you can, if they're around. For the other people, you know, if you want to cling close to the friends that you know, maybe the people you haven't talked to in a recent amount of time. You know, COVID birthdays, you can drive to their house and stand outside their house and sing Christmas carols. I think that would be a great idea. I think people need to sing Christmas carols to each other right now. I think that would, in the efforts of just improving someone's mental well-being more so than going viral but you probably would there too it seems to be really easy right now to do easy nice things and go viral if that's something you're interested in each week we're going to do a couple different things um, we're going to definitely focus on columbus in it as well as uh, related to real estate stuff i do like talking about um, dumb crimes we talked about one already but um, also there are a couple uh, noteworthy stories that i wanted to mention uh, specifically from This Week News, posted on April 11th at 5 a.m. A 37-year-old man was arrested after New Albany Police Department officers at 2.05 p.m. April 1st responded to a residence on the 3400 block of North Reynoldsburg, New Albany Road on the report of suspicious activity. Charges for the man included possession of a controlled substances, no surprise there, criminal damaging, burglary, and receiving stolen property, according to the police report. 
The arrest came after a caller told police he had inherited the home from his father and someone had placed a trash bin on the property, had broken into the residence, and was growing plants inside, according to the report. Plants? Really? Well, you know, every once in a while you get a guy that breaks into houses and he's really into horticulture. Officers found three mason jars containing raw marijuana in the kitchen. Raw marijuana. Not cooked, not prepared. Completely raw, organic marijuana. Fresh groceries in the refrigerator and a mattress in the basement, the report said. Wow, this guy is crafty. Like, broke into a home, started living there and growing pot. Officers also visited a residence the caller owned south of the first house to conduct further investigation. They found a chest freezer from the garage had been stolen and a utility vehicle was removed from their garage. The inside of the house was ransacked, according to the report, and some items were missing. Used condoms and large amounts of feces were on the floor. Well, I think that tells you what drug we were doing. The caller told police that last time he had been in the house was about a month ago. Are you kidding me? This dude went into a house, like trashed one of the houses on the property, started living in the other one and growing pot to the point where he had jars of marijuana. Did those come from somewhere else? During the course of the investigation, officers found multiple items that belonged to the caller at the arrested man's residence on the 6700 block of Morris Road. Wow. So someone's really taken this opportunity to go out and about and do their thing, uh, creating a flop house in New Albany. So don't say that it never happens in the suburbs, guys. Watch out for your homes, especially if you inherit a property you don't plan to visit in a month. Also would like to every week go back in time and read a house of the week from the Columbus Dispatch from the past. And then I want to talk a little bit about the house of the week. As I stated at the beginning of the show, I am a real estate agent in the city of Columbus in central Ohio and licensed to sell all over Ohio. So I find it interesting to talk about properties and what they sold for in, in the past and then kind of look at what they've sold for uh, recently. So from the house of the week, the Columbus Dispatch, July 21st, 1985. Address. 548 East North Broadway in Clintonville. Asking price, $64,900. Take that, people who currently live in Clintonville and thought it was a good idea to buy 15 years ago, as opposed to 1985. Taxes per half year, $311. In 1985, the address 548 East North Broadway had $622 in annual taxes due. Here is the description of that house, which is the house of the week from July 21st, 1985. Quality of construction, natural woodwork throughout, and glass French doors leading to the dining room and living room were enticements for the buyers of this all-brick, two-story, said Agent Gary Rowe of Century 21. Decorative fireplaces were an attraction, too. One is in the living room and another in the master bedroom. 60 to 65 years old, the house has a detached two-car garage, a screen front porch, and a center hall plan. The main floor includes a living room, dining room, kitchen, breakfast nook, and half bath. Upstairs are three bedrooms and a full bath. A stove was included in the sale of the house, which has forced air gas heat. 
The neighborhood offers many trees and ravines and served by the Columbus Public Schools. Houses range in price from $60,000 to $110,000, Rose said. The house is convenient to Indianola Plaza shops and is one block from I-71. The buyers finance the home with a conventional mortgage. This is way more information than you would find in a current ad about real estate. Listing agent was Gene Shannon of Red Carpet Love Realty. All right, so the house located at 548 East North Broadway sold for $64,900 in 1985. Sold February 20th of this past year, 2019, for $380,000. Here's the sales history of that property. June 1st, 1985, it sold for $64,900. June 23, 1992, it sold for $98,000. And then we see a little bit of a jump in December 1997, $139,000. October 2002, $172,000. December of 2006, $190,000. And then it doubles. Between December of 2006 and August of 2019, it doubles in price. Since we're talking about real estate, I think it would be important to read an article from Housing Wire that addresses the changes that are happening in the lending world. So if you're interested in buying for living in a house or buying uh, for investment purposes, things are getting a little different. The article is from April 10th by Kathleen Howley, and it's lenders get stricter as some borrowers think they don't have to pay. Overlays are increasing to protect lenders from early defaults, buyback demands. Standards for home loans are tightening by the hour as companies like United Wholesale Mortgage, the nation's largest wholesale lender, beef up rules to ward off early defaults from people losing jobs because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, I get as many as 10 emails a day from companies announcing new overlays, mostly for re-verification of employment. Unquote, said Mark Goldman, a loan officer at C2 Financial in San Diego. Quote, all the lenders want to make sure borrowers are still working and still have cash flow. Unquote. Almost 14 million Americans have filed for unemployment in the last two weeks after businesses were closed and workers told to stay at home by state scrambling to reduce the spread of COVID-19. That record number doesn't include people who lost their jobs and have been unable to get through to overwhelmed state employment offices to make a benefit claim. As lenders tighten standards, an index measuring the availability of mortgage credit in March crashed to the lowest level since June of 2015. Led by a pullback in jumbo and non-QM lending, the Mortgage Bankers Association said in a Thursday report. MBA's Mortgage Credit Availability Index fell 16%, led by a 24% plunge in the jumbo and non-QM mortgages. A drop in the index means rules are stricter and mortgages get harder to get. So far, the hit hasn't been as bad for mortgages backed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. The index measuring the availability of conforming loans dipped 2.7%. But that doesn't mean lenders aren't being more careful with those loans. Many now require re-verification of employment within 24 hours of closing, and some are asking borrowers to sign an affidavit saying they have not been notified of a pending layoff or income reduction. So speaking to that directly, I've definitely seen in the Columbus area lenders increasing overlays when it comes to mortgage lending. An overlay is what the investors that that mortgage lender goes to are requiring of the buyers that are being financed. 
So uh, many uh, programs such as the Ohio Housing Financing Agency's uh, grant for down payment assistance are being impacted because they're requiring higher credit scores for FHA loans than what the federal government would typically require. This is not a federally mandated thing. This is uh, in investors with specific mortgage lenders. That said, if you are in the position where you're shopping for a mortgage and you're denied, definitely take a look at another lender to see if perhaps your credit score qualifies with their pool of investors and their overlays to get a mortgage. Rates are still significantly low for people that have uh, good credit, but they're bouncing all over the place. So what's happening? Is all that's going on with people's jobs and the availability of loans becoming more difficult and uh, is that causing it to become a buyer's market? Is it switching from a seller's market in central Ohio? Not yet. It's getting close. We still have multiple offers in a lot of situations, but it's getting harder for the bottom end borrower, the one that has a lower credit score, the one that doesn't have thousands of dollars in the bank to buy. At the same time, people don't even want to leave their house, let alone sell it. So the amount of houses going on the market's reducing. I don't have the direct statistics from the Columbus Board of Realtors because they put their statistics out in delayed fashion, but we've read statistics nationally that inventory is down almost 25% year over year. People don't want to leave their house. They don't want to think about moving into another house. And when you look online at homes for sale, the number seems to be less and less. But is there light at the end of that tunnel? Are lending restrictions going to loosen up? when things go back to normal or as close to normal as we can get. Is there ever going to be a normal again? We don't know. There are less homes for sale than there have been. We saw an increase in the amount of people that were seeing houses in the beginning of March. And then by the end of March in Franklin County, showings were down 56%, which shocked me because I thought they would be down more. After the stay-in-place order, only 56% less showings in Franklin County. And then the following week, the first week of April, it increased 14%. So the weather got nicer and people were out looking again. I'm not sure what to make of all of it. It's definitely making our job challenging being in real estate because it's so dependent on people's security, how they feel. When people don't feel secure in their living situation or their financial situation, they don't think about selling their home until they're forced to. So maybe we could get to that point where people financially are so stretched that the only way that they could recover would be to sell their home and take the money and rent and then try to pay off any debts they have or to live on the money that they make selling their home. But they may or may not at that point have the money to do any improvements to their home. So maybe this will result in people selling their home that needs quite a bit of work. And the shift could occur then. Could become a buyer's market. We did see statistically that buyers retreated during March. A lot less buyers out there. And now we're seeing restrictions on lending for any non-traditional, non-Fannie Freddie eligible loan product. So it's two things working against each other. Anytime there's not very many homes for sale, 
this usually means that prices go up. But when you have a reduction in the amount of buyers looking for homes at the same time, prices don't necessarily go up as fast. It's all a clusterfuck, folks, but I'm here to guide you through it. I am Matt Ward. This has been Offbeat Columbus. Thanks for checking us out. Please share if you liked the episode, and we'll have more to come. You can go to Offbeat Columbus on Facebook and send us a message if you're interested in us talking about a specific topic. By us, I mean me. And you can see me on Instagram, at Offbeat Agent. And I would be happy to connect with you. And we can have a big-ass hug when all of this is over. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Thank you.